time, pretty much, in one verse, and that's verse 1 of Philippians, the second chapter. We've been studying the book of Philippians on Wednesday night, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, is not necessarily a verse that is incredibly challenging, but it is one that requires more than just a surface reading in order to understand its meaning. It's a very simple statement. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and, and compassion. Now, as you read that verse, you can tell that whatever he's seeking to communicate here has something to do with what's around it. In other words, the context is very important in properly understanding this, this verse of Scripture. You also see the word if, therefore, if. And that brings to your mind doubt. Typically, when we use the word if, we're, we're seeking to maybe create some doubt about a matter. But that's not the case here. What, what Paul is doing is saying, since these things are so. And then he goes on to list four things that were a part of their experience. And he used these four things as the basis of his appeal to them to be united. The main point is, I want you to be together. The thrust of the message at this point, based upon the fact that they were going to face opposition, you can see that in verse 28 of chapter 1, he states, in no way alarmed by your opponents. Well, they were going to be facing opponents. There were going to be those who would persecute them for their faith. In that situation, it was very important that they be together. Verse 27 of chapter 1, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He continues that appeal for unity in verse 2 of chapter 2 make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So you see on both sides of verse 1, there's this appeal to unity. Again, the point he's making here is these four things are a part of your experience. What four things? Encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, affection and compassion. You know this. This is what you know. And based upon your experience in these areas, I'm making an appeal to you to be together. Now, what I take away from this is this. Possibly one of the reasons we struggle with being united in the way God wants us to be united. Perhaps one of the reasons why we're not the family of God sometimes 
that God wants us to be. Perhaps it's the case that we're not desirous of being together as we should be. It's because this is not our experience. These four areas, we don't live in them the way they did in the church at Philippi. Do you see the point? If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now, he's not saying that there's reason to doubt these four areas as being your experience. He could, he could have written it this way. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, and you know these things, and you live in these things, and these are your experience, then being together shouldn't be that much of a challenge for you all. I ask myself the question, and this is the inspiration for this lesson. As I was studying this and, and looking at it, because I've always, I've just always struggled a bit with the statement of chapter 2, verse 1, and seeing where it fit in his, his, his epistle. As I, as I struggled with this, I asked myself the question, well, when I look at my life, is this my experience? These are things that I should know. <laughs> you ever started a conversation with this, this, uh, this phrase, well, I know this for certain. There's one thing I know for certain. <laughs> and usually it's something we know for certain. And then we go on and we, we make some argument. Well, this is an argumentative de de declaration that Paul is making here. Since these things are so, and since you know these things, unity should not be a challenge. It should not be an issue. When you're facing persecution, you should come together because this is already where you live. Now I'm going to ask you the question. Is this your experience? As you look at your life as a disciple of Jesus, as, it, as you look at who you are in Christ, do you see encouragement? Encouragement by virtue of the relationship that you have with Jesus. You know, we talk about building one another up. And we should build one another up. We should encourage one another. But sometimes we're not always very good at that. In fact, sometimes we do the opposite. We discourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, in that environment, does that mean that I live my life with absolutely no encouragement? No, there is encouragement that comes to me simply by virtue of the relationship that I have with Jesus. Now, I've been stuck on the book of Colossians a lot lately in my, my preaching, and it's because I've, we studied Colossians on Wednesday night recently, and now I'm going back and restudying the book of Colossians. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper. That kind of helps me to solidify some things in, in my mind. But, but I want you to see some points here with respect to the encouragement that is in Christ from the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he was dealing with what is referred to as the Colossian heresy. In other words, there was some teaching in the church at Corinth, which was, I'm sorry, the church at Colossae, which wasn't right. And it's interesting, as you read through the book of Colossians, it's kind of hard to put your finger on that. 
But, but as you look at it and, and, and study it and really meditate upon it, you see two things. One is the influence of Judaizing teachers. That is, the influence of those who were seeking maybe to, to blend in with Christianity, teaching from the old law. You see that. He talks about circumcision. He talks about the Sabbath day. He talks about all these things that were a part of the Old Testament law. But there's, there's also mixed in with this what was referred to as Gnosticism. Now, there will be a test. Gnosticism. That's not one of those words we use every day, is it? Well, this, this is really kind of strange. Okay? So, so this, this was the influence of mystical religions that existed at that time. So they were taking Judaism... And the, Judy, the Judaizing teachers were coming under the influence of philosophy and, and the uh, teaching of those who said that all flesh is evil. And therefore, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And so they were taking away from Christ. Now, if you place emphasis upon Judaism and mysticism, you're really doing damage to Jesus. You're getting as far away from Jesus as you possibly can get because the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be and the mystics said, well, Jesus couldn't be who he claimed to be because he claimed to be God in the flesh. So now we're really messed up. And, and they were coming under that influence in, in the church at Colossae. So what Paul does is he emphasizes the preeminence of Jesus. I say all that to help you understand verse 4 of Colossians 2. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Here's the danger. Here is the danger of taking what we read about in the Scriptures and trying to mix what is in the world with what is in the Word. It's never going to work. It's always going to create some some conflict or damage to the truth. Now look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. If, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you follow Jesus. If you want to find encouragement in Christ, then you... Find out what Jesus was all about. Now, here's, here's where I want to go next. Go back to verse 3 now of Colossians chapter 2. In whom, that is Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are treasures. But if you want all wisdom, if you want all knowledge. You don't go to the old law. You don't go to Eastern religion. You don't go to mysticism. You don't go to this religion that, that practices even a worship of angels. Here's something else that's very strange about Gnosticism. There was this belief that in order to get from here to God, you had to go through all these celestial beings. And, and, and the further you got away from the flesh, the closer you would get to God. 
But along the way, there would be angels, and you would have to get past the angels in order to get God. And that's how this, deve this developed into a, a worship of angels, and he, he addresses that in, in this letter as well. Paul is saying that that's not the way you get to God. You just focus on Jesus. And, and then in verse 9 of Colossians 2, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You don't have to go through all those emanations between flesh and spirit. Jesus came, he was God in the flesh, and in him, verse 10, you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Now, I know I've, I've went around the world to make a simple point, but, but if you want to be complete, then you live in Christ. And if you live in Christ, if you understand all these things, then it is your experience that you're encouraged by virtue of the fact that you have a relationship with Him. Is that your experience? Are you with me? Second thing he points out here is the consolation or comfort, and this one will be easier, that comes as the result of love. Is that your experience? Do you live in that? Do you live in that state where you are continuously consoled or comforted by the love that comes from God? In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, John, who has come to be known as the apostle of love, he writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, when you untangle all of that, it becomes very apparent that the experience of the child of God, the state in which we are to live, is one within view of the love that God has for us. Because if I know God, I'm going to know love. If I really know God, I'm going to see love, this, this desire to do what is in the best interest of others, not based upon who they are, but because of who I am. I'm going to see that through fresh eyes as I've never seen it before, and it's going to change my life. And if I love God in that way, and the love of God abides in me, and I abide in Him, and He's in me, then I want to be with you because that's your experience as well. Unity is not going to be a challenge for me. I'm not going to scratch my head on Wednesday night and say, well, do I really want to go out and be with those people again? I mean, goodness, I spent two hours with them on Sunday morning. I might get too much of them. No, you're not going to scratch your head and wonder that because you're going to say, we're all sharing the same experience. And any time and every time I can get together and encourage other Christians and build them up and study God's Word and grow closer to Him and have fellowship, I'm going to be there. I'm going to take advantage of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, connect this with this consolation of love or consolation that comes from God's love. Paul writes of his own experience. This is where he lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
God is love. There is consolation or comfort in the love that God has. Who comforts us, verse 4, in all our affliction. Remember, the book of Philippians, he's writing to those who were facing opponents. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, I know God. He comforts me. I live, I exist, I experience his love. And when I'm afflicted, I get through it. And I get through it so that I can help you get through it. I want to share God's love, the, God, the, the love that God has for me. I want to help you to experience the same thing. That, that produces unity. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort in abundant, is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. I hope you see that point. You see now why Paul is basing his appeal for unity? on their experience of the comfort or consolation of love that comes from God? I suffer, but God loves me. You suffer. Let me tell you, God loves you. You suffer. You tell me, God comforted me. I suffer, and I remember what you told me. Do we live in that state? Is that our experience? The third thing he brings out here is Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. What is fellowship? Well, let me tell you something. Fellowship is not a verb. Have a little English test here. It's not a verb. You don't ever see the word used as fellowshipping. Fellowshipping. It's always fellowship. What's the big deal? Well, fellowshipping is getting together and eating hot dogs. That's how we use the word. Fellowshipping is getting a basketball team organized under the name of the local church and, and let's, let's play basketball for Jesus. Nothing wrong with eating hot dogs. Nothing wrong with playing basketball. But now we've taken fellowship and we've made it into a verb. Fellowship is a state or condition. It is a relationship as well. And when he writes of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the relationship that you and I enjoy with one another by virtue of the work and the operation of that Holy Spirit. And when we have that relationship with one another, we have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when we have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, we will have that relationship with one another. And it's for that reason that Paul said, I want you to be united based on this experience of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's one other place where Paul uses that, that terminology, that phrase. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I want you to put your eyes on this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 because you're going to see the Godhead at work here. It's the last verse of 2 Corinthians, the letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father the Son, or God the Son, and of the love of God, God the Father, God the Son, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That was his prayer. That was his prayer. The love of God, consolation or comfort of love. He prayed that they would experience that. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the relationship that they would have with one another through the work and the operation of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the encouragement that is in Christ. Do you see that? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Isn't that cool the way all that just kind of falls together? Just a little bitty verse at the end of 2 Corinthians that has so much meaning. That's why Paul prayed that they would have that. He prayed that they would have that experience. And if there was any church that needed unity, it was the church of Corinth was. I mean, they were known for being a divided congregation. In Romans chapter 8, this helps me as well. Romans chapter 8, when Paul was making a distinction between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 16, he makes the statement that the Spirit himself, that's the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, let that sink in. God's Spirit is speaking to my spirit. And if I'm living in accordance with the Spirit-inspired message, then God's Spirit and my spirit are going to be in sync. They're going to be working together hand in hand, and God's spirit is going to be saying, you're where you need to be. And I'm going to understand that I'm where I need to be. I'm in that state or condition that I need to be in, that fellowship of the Holy Spirit, because I'm listening to what that spirit is saying to me, and I'm doing it. That work of the spirit is being effective in my own life. And if children, Romans 8, verse 17, if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Look at that again. You got all three together. We're fellowshipping God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we're fellowshipping God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're together. Because they're together. They're one. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There you see that suffering, that persecution once again. And then the final thing that, that Paul mentions here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. I appreciate the men who spoke earlier about compassion. The man who spoke about compassion. We didn't get together on this one. But... The idea of affection and compassion is suffering together and sympathizing with those who are suffering. You know why I do the newsletter every week? Because I have nothing better to do. I'm bored. I think I'll just do a newsletter. You know why I call it the reminder? Because it is to remind us. I should put a little C behind that. That's mine. Well, anybody else using that on their newsletter? Put a lot of thought into that. Oh, by the way, let me just, let me just go into some details here. 
You see these little arrows on the newsletter of ones going left and ones going right, and then you got the little squares in the middle. You know there's design in that. I may be an accountant, but I'm actually a little bit creative too. Well, this is a reminder that we have this little speck in the middle, which is our time, and on either end of that is eternity, going infinitely in either direction. You're really impressed now, aren't you? See what else I can say. Uh, I guess that's about it. But in here is a prayer list. I have people sometimes ask me, well, uh, what, do you, what do you know about... I will, I will, well, I'll use Johnny. He's here. What do you know about Johnny's condition? Well, Johnny's got problems. No, 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 no. Why don't you call Johnny and ask him? Am I, am I just the source of all information? Well, how am I going to do that? Well, well, oh, look, look right there. There's his number. Now I get it. I thought you put those numbers in there because you just didn't have anything better to do. You put those numbers in there. Ding, 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 ding. You put those numbers in there so I could call him or her or whoever. You put those numbers in there so I could text them. So you mean it is actually possible that I can know about what's going on in their life without asking someone other than them? Yes! Now I'm going off the big hill. Affection and compassion. Show affection and compassion. Get to know about the sufferings of others by reaching out and asking. What's going on? How you doing? Jesus. He saw the multitudes and he felt compassion for them. Read through the Gospels and notice how many times that word pops up in connection with the, the work of Jesus. Well, here's another one in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, he approached, we'll start at verse 12, he approached the gate of the city and a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Can you imagine what her life was like at this moment? She was a widow. Her husband had already died. And she only had one left, one family member left, her only son. And now he's dead. We talk about suffering. We talk about being alone in this world. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. Is that your experience? You see, people who live at that level, and this is a challenge, people who live at that, that level are people who are going to be together. These are people who understand what it means to be family. It's people who understand what it means to care about other people and to be cared for. He felt compassion and he said, do not weep. And you know, Jesus performed these miracles. I, we know he performed these miracles so that people would believe that he was the son of God. And that's going to come out here. In fact, you read on. He, he came, he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. The whole thing is just so touching. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Wow. That, that's, a, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Isn't it? He gave him back to his mother. And then fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And, and then they said, God has visited his people. Well, you know what God was teaching them? Affection and compassion. He was teaching them in the performance of this miracle that this Jesus is my son. You are to believe in him, but in him you see who I am. God is love. And the scriptures call us to be that type of people. In Colossians, again, the book of Colossians in the, the second chapter, third chapter, third chapter, verse 12. Read it with fresh eyes. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Is that your experience? These are things that we should know. Paul said to the church at Philippi, these things you know. I say these are things we should know. And it was the basis of his appeal for them to be together. People who are working together are people who are being encouraged by virtue of the relationship in Jesus, who receive comfort and consolation from the love of God, who are in a state or being of oneness with God's Spirit, and who show and understand the importance of having affection and compassion. Is that where I live? Is that where you live? Is that your experience? Is that who you, who you are? This lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, then in the singing of this song, we're inviting you to respond to Jesus' invitation to come, to express your faith in Him, to repent of your sins, and then to be baptized to have those sins washed away by His blood. If you're subject to this call, please come as we sing. Bring Christ your broken life.